Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Smith's Cyclopedia, the encyclopedic podcast about the greatest group to have ever lived, or at least that's what I'm contending for. Um, who knows? Maybe one day I'll say the greatest podcast to ever live, but I, I think I'll have to go through and get rid of a few people mafia style before I can actually claim that. Um, today we have with us a very special guest. We have Elise Sotar. Sutar. Am I pronouncing that? Sutar. All it's right. It's like Sue as in soup, not as in sour. Not as in sour. Like you, people say sautar, like sour. Sautar. Sutar, okay. like soup, but take the P off and then tar. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so normally I have the, uh, the guests on their first episode explain like uh how we met and whatever but really i think a lot of it i need to explain so i had um i had this one guy reach out to me on like my personal in my personal instagram not uh the smith cyclopedia one and um, was it john garrett it was John Garrett. John yes. Garrett, the legend, amazing. Yeah. Shout out, John. He re- <laughs> yeah, he reached out to me and was just like, "Hey, I loved your Smiths podcast. Here are some bands you can re- here are some bands I think you should recommend. Also, if you <laughs> right ever in fan letters, yeah, He's if uh, if you ever uh, need a guest on the show, you should invite uh, this person, Elise." That's hilarious. Um, oh my god, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, he sent me he sent me a link to like a few articles that you wrote on the Smiths and immediately I was like, "All right, you know what? Yeah, absolutely we need oh to have god. her on the show." That's so funny cuz the thing you first sent me that's hilarious first of all cuz I was going to say, "Do you want to know how I knew about you?" It was John oh. Garrett. He sent a link to me. He's like, "Have you seen this?" And I think he can check the receipts if someone wants to pull up screenshots. The first thing I said to him was like, "Oh, that's a really good idea. I'm really mad I didn't think of that first. Like the Smiths podcast." And I was like, cuz mm-hmm. that would be like the kind of thing I would totally like then I would never get work done. I'd just be focused on this all the time. Um, cuz it's such a good idea. And cuz it's such like a great band to like delve into like that. And he was like, "You should listen." You know, he did tell me that he told me you about me but the thing that you read um about louder than bombs that i wrote was so funny because that wasn't even like a professionally published thing it was like something i literally did for a school project like mm-hmm. it was like year like at least three years ago maybe and it, they were like you need to start a blog go and so i was like of course i'm gonna write about my favorite music because that's what i want to do for a living and everybody was like so sick of reading my blog posts because i would just go like for class for like an assignment you to read people's blog posts and i just went on and on and on and on obviously about these albums that i loved and i actually think because that was like my first like portfolio of work that was probably how i got like my first writing gigs that were like paid or like um, I don't know. Like, so that's really crazy. I don't encourage anyone to look that up necessarily because I haven't read them in a long time. I'm sure they were fine, but like, I'm just like, those weren't edited or good or up to my standards now, maybe. But yeah. It was fun though. It was very, very fun to read. That's so funny. And then, yeah, my Substack recently, which also is not, you can tell it's not edited. Um, it's not professional, <laughs> but it was just like, this is something that someone will probably not write, pay me to write in the way I want to write it. And I would like to write about the Smiths because I love the Smiths. Um, mm-hmm. A lot, so this is this is great. I love that he's like our fairy godmother, and now I'm on the pod. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's hilarious. Ooh. Oh man, maybe uh, maybe one episode I'll uh, I'll get him on. You should have him on. He would totally do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, he has uh, Morrissey stories, or at least one that he told me, and I'll save it for when he goes on, so he has material. 
but oh, when fantastic. he is when he has seen him and uh, not interacted with him, but there was a there was a, something he told me, which I was like, yes, please tell me your Morrissey story right now. That's hilarious. <laughs> um. So yeah. Oh man. <laughs> no. Yeah. All right. So a little bit of gushing. So after I read, uh, I think it was your Substack one, the one on uh, this charming man and like uh, gender and on like. Um, Oh my goodness! Uh, like the Orpheus story. Yeah. I was just talking to people for days Shut about up. that. <laughs> like, I'd be like, "Well, when you really think about it, like Morrissey, you know, the way that uh, the way that he sings is very like uh, dissociated from like any specific gender. It's like the effeminate man." And I kept quoting that thing that you had in there that like uh, femininity is violence. Yeah. Like ah. Uh, this is something that I've actually written about a lot professionally, I feel like. And I feel like everybody's so sick of me saying it now. Because literally I pulled that one quote from, like, another Substack thing I wrote. So, you know, people who are subscribed to it are like, girl, again. Um, but, like, no, I really feel that. Because I feel like now I'm, like, at an age where I can retrospectively look at... And I won't go too long about this because this isn't about the Smith. But, like, um, just, like, retrospectively looking back and looking at, like, the real, like, fear of, like, femininity that we're, like, taught. Because we live in, like, a patriarchal patriarchal society or whatever and it's just like I always felt in the Smiths really like I don't know I I always felt like they they obviously most of the musicians that I love or not obviously but a lot of them are sing from a very distinct female perspective but I always really connected to Morrissey yes in the way that it's emotional or that there is sensitivity to it but I also felt like people who would like compare the Smiths or like try to talk about them like they were like a twee band or something I was like but there's so much violence in it and um yeah I have like a bunch of quotes I know in the last ep or one of the last episodes of the podcast you use my quotes from the piece and that was like I was like oh my god I got a, like a mini shout out but um yeah I pulled this up and this is also from auto autobiography um so Morrissey wrote it um mm -hmm. masculinity is marked out by a million intolerably exhaustive guidelines defined by a sea of should nots must nots do nots and male friendships are bogged down by a um, by a welter of touch-me-not rules. With this, is it, it is assumed that the world is saved. I understand feminism to be a social savior because it liberates everyone without exclusion, whereas masculinism damns itself by measuring a man's health by the amount of sexual gratification he receives. And, like, also... And I mean, everything all throughout their career, there were like a bunch of quotes like that. There's a couple things where he says, I feel that I speak for the fourth sex. I don't really feel male or female, which was very like... Um, like a very like progressive thing to say in like 1983 and is like very mm -hmm. relevant now um which is, makes it even like more like devastating or like gross that he's you know himself at this moment like who he is because i yeah. feel like f like almost 40 years ago he was saying all this stuff that just feels like it's still what we're trying to tell people it's so strange and weird and part of why i'm like frustrated by how he's like burning his own like digging his own grave all the time <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah like i don't know uh, yeah, and I mean, he would, uh, there was actually, okay, I'm going to stop in a second. But like, um, <laughs> there was a thing recently where that Ed O'Brien did like an interview with Johnny and it was like an Instagram live thing. Mm -hmm. And Ed O'Brien actually said something that had me thinking about this whole, like kind of made me see it in a new way. He was like, when I was a kid or when I was a teenager and you guys were big, 
um, dismissed for the reason I took classes on like feminism in college. And that like really struck me for some reason, because maybe it's just like a different point of view. Like, and for, first I wanted to be snarky and be like, oh, it took like a guy in a band to tell you to, that women are people. <laughs> but like, um, <laughs> but like, but then I was like, that's really like saying these are all the books you should read in interviews like Morrissey did about how women are depicted on screen, how women are, and even like, and of course, I, I don't know if I feel completely like, um, informed to talk about it but like uh like lgbtq people just that how that kind of works into it too i feel like sexuality and gender are like such a it's the band hinges on that almost a lot mm-hmm. and i feel like to just not have those groups of people in the conversation there's like an othered which isn't to say that the people in the band experience as much othered you know or, or as othered as real people who are in marginalized groups but like i just feel like that's such a that's an angle that i think i'm so interested in and in so much of like the the like scholarship about the band or writing about the band it's all like it's all usually british men who write about them and i feel like that's like a an angle of it that is so underexplored so any opportunity i get to do i get i have to write about it like that's like a gift and something i want to tackle it's something i'm really passionate about if you couldn't tell by the fact that we are now 10 <laughs> minutes in and i just i didn't shut up a single time <laughs> okay i'm done yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right all right straight up though like these are things that like i've thought of like for so long like the smiths are 100 percent like the sort of band to get guys into more like gender studies because mm-hmm. morrissey doesn't necessarily sing from like any specific gender right. and he like is very well versed on all of these like uh all of these well at, at, at the time like very modern feminist books yeah um and so it it makes total total sense and unfortunately you are right sometimes it does take just some guy in a band (laughs) for you to (laughs) for you to believe that women are people too yeah but like i i feel like especially today like so much of the i don't know um the smith's torch Mm -hmm. is carried by girls that are aged like 14 to 19. Have we ever heard of a little uh, program called Tumblr? Because yeah. <laughs> I was in the trenches like uh, when I was a teenager and they no, were doing straight up. they were doing scholarly work. I feel like I, I was like meant to be maybe not meant to be a music journalist, but I always, I've always had like a, a brain like that. So I would be like, I need to find everything that they've ever said to anybody about the Smiths ever. And I need mm-hmm. to like catalog that. I had like a ridiculous like, I mean, I still have like a ridiculous album in my phone of like, I might need this. And this was the opportunity for me to say, yes, I finally need all this information. So I, again, I have a ridiculous amount of quotes in front of me. I'm excited right. to delve in. Fantastic. <laughs> um, well, you know what? We'll, we'll round out this portion before we go to the next. Okay. What is your What is your favorite Smith song? I knew you were going to ask me this, and I still am going to struggle for a second. So if everybody's okay with listening to me flounder, um, I always say when I have to pick one, Still Ill is probably one of my favorites. Um, this night has opened my eyes. Is one of my favorites. I'm gonna cheat a little bit and say, "Rush Home Ruffians." Into if you're listening to it on the album, into I want the one I can't have. That's gonna count as one song, even though they're two songs. So you just roll with me. Um, I don't know. I, I have like a personal uh, soft spot for Shoplifters. There are I don't right. know. There are a lot of ones. I just named a bunch. <laughs> I don't know. You could I could literally sit here and name like 20 songs. So I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Um, well, hey, let's uh, let's use some of these notes that you have on your phone. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, let's go into the next section of our podcast. 
welcome back. Um, boy, oh boy, I don't even know if I know where to begin with this, but we are talking about the Smiths on television, specifically Top of the Pops, because we're now at the point where, you know, the Smiths release this charming man and they have their first Top of the Pops performance. I feel like this would be a great place to talk about this. Yes, perfect, amazing. I, I, yeah, Top of the Pops, because you were talking about how hard it was to kind of, and the last episode before, the one I get before this one, I guess it'll be, um, how hard it was to encapsulate what John Peel is. Like, how do you explain, if you are an alternative music fan, how do you explain who, what, like, what John Peel meant to, like, UK alternative music? It's, like, almost impossible mm -hmm. to, like, sum up. Maybe it's a little easier to sum up what Top of the Pops was, but it's still another thing that I feel like the mythology around it, especially uh, maybe it's just because we didn't have it and people who actually grew up with it were like, oh, it sucked. But like <laughs> most of the time, <laughs> but like there are so many, uh, there are definitely like iconic moments that either changed people's careers or they were like breakthrough moments for artists that were like left of center um, that somehow got popular because the UK is like a whole different universe. And especially back mm -hmm. in the day, like the weirdest stuff ever could become like a chart topper as we'll, I mean, as we'll kind of see with Smiths, not that they're not pop songs, but like they're, they're, they're weird. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I don't know how else to say it. Um, yeah, no, and so a lot exactly. of the time, like, um, I mean, let, just to like kind of go through the history of Top of the Pops really quick. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it started, it, I think it was January 1st, 1964. Just kind of a fun fact because uh, both uh, Morrissey and Johnny are fans. Dusty Springfield was the per first person to perform on Top of the Pops. I'm also a big fan. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so the whole format was <laughs> that it was supposed to be, I think they started the top 20 hits of the week were like eligible. And this is obviously pre-music video, it's 1964. Um, mm -hmm. The Beatles kind of brought that in because they literally didn't want to show up to perform things. So they would be like, here's a video of us performing. And then that, I mean, the monkeys existed and that could be arguably like the thing that invented the music video because it was part of a TV show. But anyway, um, so sometimes artists who had a song in the top 20 would come on to mime to that song. Sometimes they got to sing live. I don't really know what the criteria was for that if a, an older British person would like to tell me or uh, you know my DMs are open whatever but sometimes people get to sing live and sometimes people wouldn't I feel like the first top of the pops performance I saw was a kinks one because I really love the kinks too um, mm -hmm. So it was from 1967. And Ray Davies was allowed, I guess his mic was on, but like they were just playing it over the track. So like famously, Top of the Pops, you most of the time mime and people have uh, gripes with that usually. Um, a, the like, peak of the show, I think, was in the early 70s, like the glam days, uh, which does relate to the Smiths because those were, both of them were the first time that uh, both Morrissey and Johnny saw people that they identified with, musical artists that they identified with. Um, Johnny talks about seeing, I think it was Metal Guru or Hot Love. I don't know which yes, T-Rex song Guru. it was. Which becomes Panic. Um, but I'm also a big T-Rex fan and I'm like, no, that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, Mark Bolin was just, I don't know if we can like describe how shocking Mark Bolin was then. Like glitter yeah. all over his face. Just and like very much, just, just like a, such a shocking pop figure. And Johnny's talked about how like, how he played with sexuality and how just like these simple like dumb pop songs that were so infectious and so like they're still I think they still sound like excellent mm -hmm. um just to see him and see him playing it rather than even just hearing it is like a whole different experience and he told this like story I guess he was like eight or nine when it happened the math would work out for that because yeah. he was so excited that he like got he got up and he again a very much a latchkey kid like got up and rode his bike <laughs> like miles and miles and miles to the other side of Manchester and then eventually he ran out because he was so excited and then eventually he ran out of steam and was like 
oh, now I gotta, now I gotta get back home. <laughs> so, like, yeah. he was, like, like, he was in a blackout when it happened, which is so funny. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Morrissey has talked about seeing, and this was, like, multi- Robert Smith has talked about this, too. Um, they have more in common than they think they do. They're, the, they're each other's shadow self. Um, yes. Seeing David Bowie play Starman on Top of the Pops is, like, I think on the Wikipedia page, it's, like, the first thing they mention as, like, a notable performance. Because so many people who started bands 10 years later, like these people, um, said, that moment changed my life. I That was, like, the first time I saw someone who was as like as weird as I was and people were clapping along and celebrating like and pe- everybody saw them on TV and said oh my god this changed my life yeah. um so yeah so I think the peak of the show was probably around the mid 70s I found out the most watched episode had 15 million viewers at once which is kind of hard to imagine <laughs> something unless it was like a sporting event now that would like mm-hmm. happen because streaming or whatever um and there's just so much choice that there's there are a few like um major especially in music like major television moments like that now um but yeah, so uh, I know oh, the peak date had 15 million viewers because uh, ITV, the other like British channel, was on strike. So you could literally only watch BBC One or BBC Two because it was 1979 and there were like four television channels. So that's why a bunch of people were like, okay, I guess I'll watch Top of the Pop. So it's kind of like a fake. But apparently the average amount of viewers by like the mid 70s was 12 million people a week, which is a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so when punk came around, which obviously is relevant to the Smith story, um, a lot of bands would do it, and the reason when these punk, weird punk records got into the chart, which is like so funny to me, um, a lot of bands would do it, like the Buzzcocks did it several times, um, they would do it because they're like, well, it's better that people see us rather than like some terrible band that's in otherwise in the charts, or would be in the charts anyway, you know? <laughs> so they're like, no, literally, um, uh, they're like, you know what, I'd rather, this show was lame, by this point it had pretty much lost any like cool credit it had in the early 70s, because sure. punks were like, you know, no Elvis Beatles or the Rolling Stones in 1977, to quote mm-hmm. um, Joe Strummer, and it was kind of like, you know what, we're going to go on this show and be better than everybody else, because our music is better, and we could be changing someone's life, like David Bowie changed our life. So mm-hmm. they went on and looked... All of them pretty much looked mad the entire time they were on. <laughs> um, but the Buzzcocks were always fun to watch. Um, famously, The Clash, to speak of the devil, uh, boycotted Top of the Pops, even though they had a ton of... Oh, oh, sorry. I had another... No, you're fine. I had another call-up. There we go. Um, uh, they boycotted it the whole time, even though they had a ton of top... I think eventually they expanded it to top 30 and then top 40 hits. Um, yeah, and if I remember, and if I remember correctly, like... Uh, that was a big uh, thing that uh, that the Smiths thought about was like, do we or do we not like do this because we know that like a lot of people still unite with Clash over their just boycotting and hatred of Top of the Pops, right? And um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, going on one out, and thank goodness it did because you know, right? It's it's. Yeah, there was definitely, like, a... Because it was an integrity thing. It was, in quotes, yeah. you know, integrity. The mm-hmm. punk integrity kind same, of thing. Yeah, same You're thing wrong. with, like, signing to EMI. Like, right. you just didn't do it after Sex Pistols got booted. Right, exactly. It was sort of this idea of let's keep things indie. And also, I mean, Johnny has now admitted this when he goes on podcasts or whatever. He's like, I was just so mad of the kids that were slightly older than me that were around for punk being like, well, we did this and we did that. And you guys, you know, you can never follow what we did. And he was like, I know all that. Shut up. Like, he's literally said that. He says, because in all these Smith interviews, he says, you know, I didn't relate to punk. If you've ever seen him talk during the Smith, he's like, mm-hmm. you know, I was trying to learn guitar. I didn't, I thought they were all terrible. And now he'll admit, I like a lot of those bands. It's just like, I was so sick of hearing older people talk about punk that he's like I was like a total brat in interviews during this Smiths because because I was just like shut up shut up <laughs> stop talking mm-hmm. about it so I think that was 
part of it was also just like going against what was of the so-called cool that by that point had mostly like selling out isn't even like a concept now but like this idea of like oh they sold out you know all the punk groups now and they don't play punk anymore and so they were like you know what we're gonna do the opposite and they said a it was kind of a confirmation of success because they were in the charts so we should do it and go show our faces and also Mm -hmm. it was like um it was just yeah like creating one of those moments which this definitely was like creating a david bowie moment and pulling a david bowie as they might say yeah and being like we are going to we are so they know they do not look like a normal rock band their music is so if you watch the top of the pops they look so different a from all the presenters and all of the performers just it it was and again a, multiple people said that incident like changed seeing them on tv especially playing this charming man like changed my mm-hmm. life because it was the first time a lot of people saw the smiths or heard the myths so yeah yeah big deal yeah i mean and i think like you were saying earlier like england especially at this time was just a whole nother world like yeah they had very little i i shouldn't say they had very little outside communication but like (laughs) not nearly to the same level where we do today like i i have uh i can just talk to pretty much anybody in the world at any given point in time it doesn't it doesn't work that way in the 80s and so they were a lot more monocultural and so any sort of like invasive uh presence mm-hmm. into the mainstream was just hugely influential like you were saying with David Bowie or Mark Bolan totally um and like you get very very interesting things this way where it's very different and the Smiths is absolutely that case where like you have Morrissey coming on to the show and instead of singing into miming into a microphone like everybody else had done <laughs> he's waving like this giant yeah. uh this giant uh set of flowers around yeah i've i read i don't know if this is true but i read somewhere that they were like oh where do you want your mic and he was like oh i'm gonna sing into the flowers don't worry yeah so, <laughs> i got it babes it's all good <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's also because yeah, I mean, talking about it again, because uh, people have said... I, the the main reason why The Clash wouldn't go on Top of Pops is because they couldn't play live. They did other television shows where they were like, as long as we can play live, fine, we'll go on. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, that like probably totally hurt them in the end because they, they probably could have been even more popular. Um, mm-hmm. But they did not go on Top of the Pops. Um, but I remember Johnny saying, like, no, it was better that we could mime because you could, you could play with it a little bit. A, the look was was part of the main focus um there are a lot of bands that'll say it's not about what you look like it's about the music which is totally fair but you can tell in the mm-hmm. voice i just did it in no that's a big part of it what things look like what the ephemera looks like what people were wearing that all the smiths totally believed that was as, almost as important as the music and so yeah, the whole point like, especially with top of pops if you're not playing like you're just hearing the song it's not like they're getting it across with their musicianship so the only way to get across what you are about is by looking the way you look making a statement that way and so by Mm -hmm. them miming and not having to focus on being great um that like totally helped them which they totally admitted because they were like we could focus on i mean looking cool sounds stupid but looking cool (laughs) and really weird like totally yeah and like uh especially from the the band themselves their point of view like it wasn't just about uh it wasn't just about the music like morrissey Mm -hmm. and mar i would say were artist devotees like yes they studied everything they studied the music first off but then also the lifestyle the look the record sleeves everything they could and so they yeah. knew how important it would be specifically for fueling obsession yes uh by their young fans if they looked great 
they would have the success that they wanted because they would be changing people's lives. And as well, I would say like having like the look down and having everything composed together, it makes you pay more attention to the music. Totally. I think, yeah, thinking about this because a lot, I think a big part of obviously I just like the music, but also because I am, I'm like, not to say I am them, but I'm like them. Like I was that, I am that kind of person from a very young age who was like, why do you think I write about music? Like obsessive mm-hmm. about everything. Um, obviously Morrissey had his like failed try at being a music journalist, but he, he was like, okay, that's what I'll do then. Because it's just this obsession about what thing, what cover like sleeves look like, what the, the inserts, which again is kind of not completely a lost art, but it's just like streaming changed everything. But it's yeah. just like what everything yes it's just all of those parts what b-sides are on what you know what versions of each thing exist like it's just this obsessiveness about i need to know what i did with them literally i need to know about what they were doing at this point in their life i need to know about this i need to know about the history of all this i need to know about what else was going on what were they listening to all that kind of stuff and also i have a real appreciation for once you listen to like all of what they claim as their influences i feel like a lot of people don't get dance music from the smiths but like Johnny was DJing for like a few years, like playing soul records and like modern like disco too, at like mm-hmm. working doing that. And I feel like you can totally hear that. I feel like this charming man is kind of where that starts almost. Um, yeah. Oh, hearing obviously like the girl groups. I feel like everything. It feels like such. I, I can hear all of that in it, and I love that I can go back and then trace their steps to find. Like I love doing stuff, stuff like that. And if it's just you're just listening to it and saying this is a great song that I remember, like my mom was like a teenager when Smiths were around and she was a fan, which is probably how I discovered them. Now that I'm thinking about it, but like mm-hmm. my brain doesn't work like that. It can't just like the song. <laughs> yeah. To, if there is like extensive backstory and they are so um, open about what they that what they were listening to, what they were trying to emulate there is something for me to get lost in there so they work on both levels and like the, the look like totally was part of that and the look was like so anti the whole point was that it was like anti what you think of a rock, a rock star looks like mm-hmm. i mean you had like duran duran <laughs> on like the the same show as them and duran duran you know are dressed like well i mean they got the the big clean white suits yeah. rolled up at the sleeves and whatever they were obviously very about the look as well but not in the same way. It was much more commercialized, whereas the Smiths were like, we want to just relate to people. We want to show people. You can be both glamorous and ordinary at the same time. Right. I think there's a people mistake, because the Smiths are very theatrical and very obviously, I, maybe flamboyant isn't the word. There's a, the, there's a theater to it, which there's always yeah, been yeah. in pop music. And they appreciate that, but dressing up in your Duran Duran suit isn't necessarily theater. I think maybe there was this idea of the elevated pop star because I looked it up. The number one song in the UK when This Charming Man came out was Karma Chameleon, which got me thinking about like a Boy George type like figure, which was very different, but also maybe also flamboyant and theatrical, but just on a different level. It's just... um in the early 80s it was like a different there was the pop star was supposed to look like something and the smiths very clearly did not want to look like that um yeah and there i it's also kind of hard to picture this now because we obviously don't live in the context of the time but a lot of people at first were like oh you guys are like a 60s throwback group because maybe they dress Mm -hmm. johnny especially like pulled things from the people that he loved like uh, Stu sutcliffe from once of the beatles before he passed away and just like pulling dress cues from these people from a different time or them saying oh you you're trying to be the birds because you have a jangle guitar and him saying like mm-hmm. i don't really listen to the birds like don't you guys hear this it's obviously trying to like the simplification of everything but um pulling cues from all of those different especially 
sound wise but dress wise too from all those different points in pop culture history it's like so clear that they were studied and you might miss those cues if you didn't go back and listen to what they were listening to it's just so fascinating they're like an endless treasure trove of like references and information that i think is like fascinating yeah i think there's this one great uh great point and uh after this we'll talk more i don't know sequentially about top yeah, of the pop, yeah but sorry. Like, um <laughs> there's this one great part of johnny marr's autobiography where he's talking about like the creation of there is a light that never goes out and yeah. he's talking about like all the critics saying like oh you're just ripping off the velvet underground and johnny makes no. a point of saying like i wasn't ripping <laughs> off the velvet underground i was ripping off the people that the velvet underground were ripping off yeah the stones version of stones. Uh, hitchhike yeah mm-hmm hundred percent. He said, I'm working in a lineage here, people. You guys, just because you don't understand nuance, you know, that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Um, All right. Oh, top of the pops. Do we, uh, top are, of the pops. Okay. Are we talking about the Smiths on top of the pops? Because I have the list of every time they appeared in front of me. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Yeah. I've got my, I've got my Smiths Bible, oh, I, I guess. Come on, matching. You can't yeah. see, but we both have this. We both have the songs that saved your life uh, in front of us by Simon Goddard, an excellent book. Um, yes. I also recently reread uh, Mazapedia, his other book, which I think I love even more. It's, oh yeah. It's for someone with my brain. Yeah, like everything <laughs> he ever did up until like 2009, which you know, in retrospect, is probably a good place to stop. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I think, and it, it's not like he just copies and pastes the stuff from this book about the Smiths. Like he writes whole news. I mean, he uses some quotes over, but. Uh, he like rewrites it, which I really appreciate. He is my kind of brain, Mr. Goddard. So yes, yeah, um, right. So the Smiths, in total, I think appeared on top of the pops eleven times. The first time being this charming man in November '83, and then the last time was mm-hmm. to do Sheila take a bow in April '87. And two of them, again, I don't really know how top of the pops rules worked. Two of them were they worked on twice to perform. What difference does it make? And twice yes. to perform. Heaven knows, a miserable now, which. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it just if it's they stayed in the charts they could just come on again <laughs> yeah yeah so i think the way it works because i'm obviously no no real expert because uh, it never ran while i was alive right um <laughs> is essentially if you broke into the charts right at like a high enough position they'd say absolutely yeah come on yeah, the right. show we want we want to see you mm-hmm. and then if you stayed in the charts for i think it was like five weeks oh, okay. you were allowed to come back you're you're it renews your card yes <laughs> okay I, I think so I, I i could be wrong on that i wasn't able to actually find what the rules were right there is some of these some of these like uh I, I think they were just they were just flying with whatever another important thing to note about top of the pops which i think makes it even more like even funnier that the smiths were like yeah we'll do this um was i think after that strike where um so it was like 1980 i think where they brought in a new producer And Mm -hmm. the producer said, you know what? This show is obviously not cool anymore. We need to make it cool again. So he was like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to bring in a bigger audience. Lots of people audible cheering, you know, for the broadcast. We're going to drop balloons. We're going to make it a party atmosphere, which seems Mm -hmm. like, uh, which is hilarious that, um, I don't know, just putting, and you can see that when the Smiths perform that it's like a very unsmith-like atmosphere around them. But it's just, it's just so funny, especially since everyone who's ever performed on top of the pop set, it's such a weird experience because they like wheel the audience in. You do a rehearsal during the day with like no one there. And then they mm-hmm. wheel the audience in to dance, in quotes. Like, you, if you've seen the dancing on this show, it's like a, a little two-step because it's an uncomfortable experience for everyone involved. Yeah, you, you kind of this... got, like, 
your arms like halfway elbowing <laughs> yeah. to keep people away from you. You're listening to this song over a speaker that you don't know, and also it's like, and so it's like echoing in this giant like studio warehouse, and then you're wheeled back out immediately after. So it's not like you can you're hanging out with people the whole day. They're like audience in Smiths on sing the song, mm-hmm. do it once or twice. All right, everybody leave, and it's just like. Uh, I remember like uh, Pete Shelley from the Buzzcocks talking about that too he's like it looks great you know you watch it as a kid on TV and you're like wow that looks so fun and you went in you were like that was the weirdest day of my life <laughs> and I <laughs> I don't know if I want to do it again but um, and then all those bands did do it again They're, but it was very much like a weird experience by all accounts and I'm sure making it like we want to make it a, this lame thing a party was, did not help <laughs> yeah. definitely uh, so yeah 11 times on the show and the first one was uh, the This Charming Man performance. And also in that 11, uh, it, it's sort of like a Hassmith's performance because it's uh, with Sandy Shaw doing a hand and glove, too, mm-hmm. is one of them. I counted. Yeah, no, I, I would count that as well. Like, it's a Smith song. And mm-hmm. then also, like, it's not just like, here is Sandy Shaw. It, right. it specifically says, like, Sandy Shaw and the Smiths. Totally. So... I have this article uh, that Johnny actually wrote for The Guardian in 2011. Oh. Okay. Um, and so he's talking about their first appearance on Top of the Pops, and he says, Marilyn, uh, an artist at the time, was on yeah. Just Before Us, and he was a beautiful creature, but to be confronted with the kind of language Morrissey used in the song, This Charming Man, after Paul Young and a Tina Turner video must have been very arresting. Interesting yeah. and subversive ideas can get through if you wrap them up in a great pop tune. Exactly. Which is just, Uh, which is what I said much less eloquently. Like I rambled about for 15 minutes a few minutes ago. (laughs) He just said what I meant to say in like uh, a nice little nifty sentence. All right. All right. I want to read a little bit more of this, uh, a little bit more of this article. All right. So he says, everyone remembers the flowers Morrissey took on the show. I'd been very aware of how powerful Top of the Pops could be visually from my childhood watching T-Rex. We first used Gladioli on stage at the Hacienda about a year before to counteract all the all-encompassing, austere aesthetic of factory records. Yeah, people Hacienda. assumed it was an yeah. People assumed it was an Oscar Wilde homage, uh, but that was a bonus. The flowers made the stage very treacherous if you were wearing moccasins, but they became <laughs> emblematic, iconic. Yeah. Um, and. Andy Rourke uh, also pitches in. I'm getting this quote from uh, Songs That Saved Your Life. Mm-hmm. Um, Morrissey was one of the first people to actually refuse to use a microphone on top of the pops and pretend he was actually singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just sang, he just sang it without one because obviously he was miming. Nobody really credited the Smiths for that, and I think it goes back to this idea that we keep talking about: is that like the Smiths were just this. Uh, thing and like you mentioned earlier like the whole aesthetic of like party top of the pops like balloons and streamers yeah. everywhere <laughs> Morrissey just dismantles it totally. by bringing the uh, these flowers the same thing that they had done at the Hacienda gig is right. they said this place is too dreadful and sterile we're mm. covering it with flowers totally yeah it's a hundred percent that um yeah, I don't know. It's 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 very. It's just they must have looked so starkly different. Like to see, I we can't even. I can't even. I'm obviously I'm sitting here talking about it as a quote unquote expert, but like I, it's hard to even picture like what seeing them was like for the first time. I don't know. Noel Gallagher is probably the person who's talked most about this, which is so funny oh, to me. I don't know why. Yeah. But him saying like, um, 
he's like that moment changed my life I wanted to be Johnny Marr from that point forward and then he said he went to work the next day whatever like blue collar job he was working at the time you know while he was figuring his stuff out before he was a like a a roadie when he became a roadie later but he was like all I won't use like the slur they all use but uh, everybody all the guys he worked with were like did you see that gay guy on top of the pops yesterday and they were like making fun of him and he was like I thought it was the greatest thing I ever saw in my life so he was like I didn't listen to them and then I was also a top of the pops so Mm-hmm. What now? <laughs> Can I ask a question? Do yeah. you have? I don't know if you've seen all of them. Do you have? Do you have a favorite Smiths Top of the Pops performance? You can say no. I I, I think a lot of them kind of meld together in my mind. Totally fair. Totally. My fair. I want to say my favorite is William. Yeah. Um, like legendary, legendary moment of just like. Morrissey breaking open his shirt to reveal "Marry Me" on so it great. on his chest, and that's and like a like, stunt. I love stunts and shenanigans. Mm-hmm. I love it in pop music. It's my favorite thing. I do. <laughs> that's probably that was probably like a huge like that might have been the first time I saw the Smiths and like it, I remember it. Obviously, I'd like seen them. You know, my mom was a mm-hmm. fan and stuff, and so I'd probably seen videos of them before. I'd obviously heard songs, but I remember the first song that like clicked for me as like my own it was a kind of a weird one. It was uh, "Stop Me If You Think I've Heard This One Before," which I feel like no one else says. Like obviously, I knew a bunch of other songs, but that was the first time I was like, "Oh, I need to go back and listen to all this music." And I feel mm-hmm. like the William performance was like the first one that really clicked with me because it was like a, it was like a stunt, and I was like, yeah. "That's amazing!" Like who does that? It's it it was it was it was it's perfect i'm I'm just gonna say you're stuttering (laughs) all right if if i if i can gush for a second as well um like that was hugely influential to me at that stage in my life where Mm. i first started like really getting into the smiths was morrissey at the time was a very very scrawny guy yes um and like (laughs) i was a very very tall skinny scrawny person um my my nickname was uh my nickname was skin and bones for a while Rough, um yeah. <laughs> love it and so just like morrissey breaking open his shirt and being so like comfortable with uh with his body and like showing off his chest and whatever it was like oh okay i don't have mm. to be ashamed of the fact that you can see my rib cage through my shirt yeah no totally i i understand that it's so it's so great too because Maybe it's just, again, it's back to like that othered thing of it, but I feel like any there anybody can pick something within, that's like what a great pop figure is, and maybe they don't, well, I don't know, I don't wanna say, I'm not gonna make any brash statements, but like, I feel like a great pop frontman or a figure is someone that you can read so many, anybody from, it's almost universal, but you can read something very specific into him. And again, this I guess this is kind of a curse word, but like, Obviously, yes, I connected to the emotion, uh, the emotion in the lyrics and the anger and the violence of it totally. But just like th- when Morrissey got bitchy, I was like, that's me. That's me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so just like even the flam, like just being like, I don't think about anyone except myself, just like hands by his face. I was like, yes, that's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> it's so perfect. And I think that's why I loved like the lyrics too, because they sort of went back and forth between this. It's just like they're they they're layered and complicated and obviously very well written, literate, you know, whatever. But just sometimes like a you got everything now, I was like, this is everything that everyone feels all the time and is not allowed to act on it. And I'm not saying we should, but I, I just love the way that it is put and presented to us, this like totally petty, 
immature like nonsense and I love it and I love that it's poetic and it's treated as melodrama yes but it's something that we all experience and it's a very uh, like natural emotional response I just I that wasn't maybe a very like um succinct way of putting it but like I just all of the all of the different emotions aside from just yes I'm sad yes I'm lonely there are so many different things you can read into any given line and I think that's a reason why I was like especially like a teenage me was like not just I'm sad because I'm a teenager but also I'm bitchy because I'm a teenager (laughs) (laughs) to a to a certain extent like I'm kind of being flippant (laughs) like it's also Uh kind of true (laughs) yeah if I can go back to uh to Johnny Marr yeah all right uh so he says after that the the first uh appearance uh this charming man whatever um after that, we tried to make every TV appearance a spectacle. Morrissey right. pulling off his shirt and having things written on his chest, the hearing aid. In a band, you can have that visual dialogue with your audience. Totally. But you try to stay one step ahead. I tried to evolve into one of the Ronettes. Mm-hmm. By the time we did William, it was really nothing. I had a beehive, like a beehive hairdo. Mm-hmm. And we'd get boys turning up at gigs with beehives. Some of my proudest moments. And I love that, uh, I love that phrase he uses. Um that you can have a visual dialogue with your audience. Exactly. And that's part of the obsessiveness. I mean, I think of, like, the Stop Me video with all the the boys that look like Morrissey. But it's just like, yes, this is a signifier that if you are a fellow fan, we understand this reference together, especially if you go back in the history of what they were listening to and saying, yes, we all understand the layers within these references. Or I'm just wearing it because this is what Johnny Marr wears. Even then, there is that dialogue between people and between the audience and, you know, the band. And also, the obviously, there are the physical contrasts between him and Morrissey, but just, like, the way it creates this inner world within the dialogue of, like, I don't know, just, it's, it's totally that. But he, again, he just said it better than I did. But yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah. All right. Um, wow. There's top of, top of the Pops is just fantastic stuff. All right. You asked me the question, what is your favorite Top of the Pops? William is up there. Um, I mean, uh, this Charming Man one, it's not even my favorite yeah, television performance of this Charming Man. I did some research and it was, uh, there were, they performed it on tele- four television four times. Um, and one of them wasn't found until like 10 years ago because they never aired it or it was like one Mm -hmm. for like in Belgium or something but um, I really like which I think was the first time they were ever on television the one filmed for the tube if you search it on YouTube it's marked as the official music video but it wasn't filmed for that it was filmed for television and Mm -hmm. that is just like a shocking I still think it's like shocking like it's such a great like Like the one with flowers on the floor and everything there's another one they did uh, for a show called Riverside which also has flowers but it's like Morrissey leaning over like he's walking around a little bit and singing it's a little more like choreographed the one Mm -hmm. where it's yeah for it's marked as the official music video and it's just them performing and Johnny's face you can't see because the camera guy or whoever edited it was like yeah it just didn't like he's dangerous and I'm like like, is it because he's I forgot about that I'm like is it because he's wearing eyeliner and I think it was definitely the first time they were on TV because Johnny said everyone I knew was watching it with me his mom was there and like they were watching it and he was like what gives <laughs> I'm not in the video um but anyway yes so top of the pops um yeah the William one is great I really love the 270 nope the 287 ones they did um shoplifters is a great just the performance of it I also mm-hmm. really like um the Sheila take a bow one where Johnny's outfit is great first of all it's the double double yeah. denim and I, there's a moment where they're I think around what difference does it make which might be just because they were um 
I don't know, because they didn't like the version of the single that came out. But mm-hmm. um, they, he gets a little fast and loose with the miming. So he'll, like, mm-hmm. he'll like take... Which obviously became later in Top of Pops' later life became, like, a famous thing that people would do, like, make fun of the show um, by, like, saying, look at me, I'm not playing. But, like, during Sheila, there are moments where he and Morris, he, like, pose together and Johnny does, like, a little, like, arm thing yeah. while he's playing. It's so I cute. I love that. <laughs> I was... All right, earlier, I was debating whether I should do uh, William... Or Sheila, because I one. just love that one single moment where it's like <laughs> banana, and then like at the whip crack he yeah. does like a like um yeah I I just watch it like I it's a I don't want to describe it. You um, should go through all of them. Um, yes, I know they also did um the boy with the thorn in his side on top of the pops, and I think Morrissey uh he has the word bad <laughs> written on his neck, which is yeah. another little fun stunt. And it's a very like similar outfit too, and I think he's got like the this big old brooch that he's yeah. wearing. Um, <laughs> grandma core. Yes, that's Morris, that was Morrissey his bread and is butter. very grandma core, <laughs> especially at that time. I love um, it. But yeah, I I I just love the top of the pops, uh, top of the pops performances so very much. I feel like they are like if you're not going. To like the albums, yeah, I would say Top of the Pops is one hundred percent the best like visual thing about the Smiths. Like totally, yeah. Because you just I've... get so much of their like. Obviously, you get the music as well. Yeah, but you get so much of their feeling for like what is interesting commentary and what is like good humor as well. Like yeah, uh, pop like, spectacle. Yeah, they're just having they're just having a ton of fun and like. All of the witticisms are repeated, and you can see like that visual interaction uh, that Morrissey was talking about, or that Johnny Marr was talking about in what Morrissey was doing. So, like with the hearing aid, like yeah. a fan wrote to him and said, like, you know, uh, I, I I feel so like uh, alienated because everybody makes fun of me for my hearing aid. So what does Morrissey do? But he shows up on top of the pops, this huge show nationally yeah. broadcast with a hearing aid on. Right. No, exactly. It, yeah. It's really, I think if you were going to, to, if you had to distill them down to like, uh, just the visual elements, what should you see? I feel like the cover art is so, you like, I feel like it's such a part of the band and obviously Morrissey on multiple occasions said, and I mean, Johnny said this too, but mm-hmm. Morrissey made it is that it's such an int- like an integral part of understanding the Smiths and again that kind of chain of references that they went back to but also just these specific images that it's what the music sounds like is what it looks like and I mean in the thing that I wrote I wrote a lot about um that cocktail movie that the This Charming Man uh single cover is taken from and mm-hmm. kind of related it to the song but it's just these um I don't know. It's it's really interesting. I like to think that Morrissey saw himself in each of those images, which is fascinating because a lot of them are of like actresses from like the daytime soaps in England and kind of saying him trying on these masks and saying I can be any of these people almost. Not to say that he was intentionally saying that or that he was mm-hmm. like this is my thought process, but I always like that idea is that these people in their faces, the whole idea that it was very northern first of all. Um, that it was like a life they not I mean some of them like obviously Cocteau was French and had nothing to do with Manchester but just this uh, these specific images are so it has to exist with this visual material the music does and I feel like each one pretty much fits perfectly they're kind of like my favorite cover art ever and I feel and I just I just think they're so special and 
Um, yeah, I love them. I'm kind of on a mission right now to watch every movie that all the movie ones are from. Um, and that's not to say Morrissey's seen all of them, because I know for the mm-hmm. This Joke Isn't Funny Anymore uh, cover, he did, he never saw the movie that was from. Like, he just saw it in, like, a book about um, film. And he just, mm-hmm. like, he was like, photocopy that, go, to Joe Slee, yeah. who, was like, helped him with those covers and then later became his assistant and then was, like, cast out under mysterious circumstances. Shout out Joe, I'm sure she's still alive. Um, <laughs> anyway, she actually put out a great book on... Um, called uh peopleism which is like oh, a collection yes, yeah. of all the source material there's a pdf of it online maybe i shouldn't say that it's out of print so unless you want to spend like a hundred dollars on a book which you might um uh it's in a pdf form online and it's it's a really great document it has like his early uh single covers too um as for his solo stuff but it's just like oh, it's all like the copies of the original picture she was given to and he said make this into the cover because this is the image that matches the song and it's, it's really interesting if you have an interest in that like i do so yeah mm-hmm. um and yeah and i would say that and the top of the pops performances are like the the visual like uh bread and butter of understanding the smiths and what they looked like and what they sounded like and how those two like joined in perfect matrimony so yeah yeah all right, and if we can take all of that, put it in a ball, <laughs> and then and then kind of just uh, go back in time a little bit to that first uh, performance. Yeah. The aftermath. I'm so sorry Top about you pops. having to edit this. Yes. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, honestly, I'm not even worried. Most of this is staying in. Okay, um, beautiful. But, like, going back in time, the aftermath of specifically this first one, and I feel like probably at least... To every, to every top of the pops performance after this, definitely created some Johnny Marr bicycle moment in yeah. in someone across England. Um, yeah. But after this first performance, they tape the show and then they're driving back up for a gig that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, in between that time when they tape it and when they're driving. Top of the Pops airs. Right. The Smiths perform Charm- This Charming Man on national television. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they show up to this gig yeah. at the Hacienda in Manchester. And there are thousands of people there, <laughs> much more than the Hacienda can hold, totally. just lining the streets. Yeah. <laughs> Overnight, the Smiths became a national sensation. Not yeah. Not just like... A group that people followed a true sensation yeah it's true and again it's like the magic of the show or at least like the cultural um like power of the show at that time in that on this little weird island that is still sort of not isolated because obviously there were american there's american music that people loved in the uk again just i feel like i'm just saying the same thing in a circle but like uh, the visual aspect of the band is so important and just like it's hard for us to kind of grasp how important them being on the show was how different they looked from everybody else who was doing anything similar i mean the cure also did top of the pops and uh they pretty much for the reason they were like well it'd be it'd suck and this is kind of the reason um Robert Smith started a band, apparently. <laughs> they just did the band. I don't know if you listen to Band Splain, but they just did the episode of The Cure on that. So it was like eight hours of them talking about The Cure. And um, <laughs> they it was literally Robert Smith being like, well, I don't really know if I want to be a musician, but it would suck if like everybody else's music sucks. So I may as well do it. That was pretty much his reason for going on top of the box. <laughs> he was like, they're inviting me. I'm going to get on there and give no effort. Go on, girl. Give us nothing. Very yeah. <laughs> was like, But at least people will hear us and maybe say, oh, there is something worthwhile being made because i mean Mm -hmm. every decade everybody says new music sucks you know there's no good new music and people in the 80s were like a thousand percent saying that and now everybody says that about you know it's not like it wasn't and nostalgia has something to do with that but people say it's not like it was in the 80s 
And most of the, and any given decade, going back to like the 50s and 60s, chart music is usually not what people remember from that time period, or they might remember it if they lived through it. But mm -hmm. it's just, I would say half of what's on the charts at any given time is evocative or um, I know Morrissey talked about this sort of later, and he was he was interviewed like immediately after the Smiths broke up for like a TV show talking about why is Ty, Top of the Pops dying, which is not a great sign, you know, <laughs> when, when you have a television program and literally another television program is like, you suck, why are you still on air? Mm -hmm. um, but it's, uh, he's like, I think it's like an overtly political act that um, they, these people are put on TV and they literally do not reflect the times. In 20 years when we go back to like the archive of this, this is not going to tell us what life was like mid-Thatcherism or mid-Reaganism, mm -hmm. you know? This is just distraction. And obviously there's room for, you know, escapism within pop music. That's kind of the whole point. But like, it's just them saying, people who are actually making meaningful music right now often do not get the chance to be on these shows. So when a band, an alternative band, like if you see Echo and the Bunnymen on TV, that was probably a big deal for people saying, yeah. I don't have, especially if you don't live in a major city. I mean, I'm from New York, so I feel like I'm very lucky to have access to all this great music. And not all of it's great, trust me, there are plenty of hacks. But like, <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble for saying that, that's okay. Um, it's just to have like even like access to cultural stuff like old movies that they don't show anywhere else or something but like just a getting if you live in the middle of nowhere like the cure did and you get to see mm -hmm. david bowie on tv that that could be the thing that changes your life and so getting to have that smith's moment is like a major thing and that was definitely the turning point where they became a major band and i mean they never really escaped college radio popularity here um I think even now, like they're they are such a different thing in this in the UK that we can't even understand just because we're not there. Or we don't we didn't grow up there, um, and here they're very much like an alternative radio staple, but not necessarily at the same level of like huge deal. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, just uh, that kind of catapulted them to that there. And I think uh, what difference does it make, which is the following single, was even higher charting, which again, is hilarious to me because they hate the John Porter version of that. And that's yeah. kind of when Johnny starts like making fun of them. Like, you know, there was, it's not Top of the Pops, but there's another performance they do where he's like in the back, like no playing, just like, just vibes. <laughs> like that's, I'm like, I get it. But anyway, yeah, uh, seeing them on TV, I, it must've been like such a shock to the system. So I'm grateful we have, we live in a time where we have all this documented stuff Almost all of their TV appearances are on YouTube. Just go and watch them. It's Obviously, like, Top of the Pops is the main thing that we talked about today. Go watch those. There's a whole playlist. I think, like, one or two of the videos aren't allowed in my region, at least. Mm, um, but you can find them just in other places. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. We love the Smiths. We love looking at the Smiths. It's true. Um, Yes. All right, let's uh, let's go on to our next section of the show. So, Elise, uh, just to catch you up to speed, I know you've listened to the show before, um, yeah, but this I'm section watching. of the show is uh our playlist section so we have a playlist on spotify um that we update we actually we have multiple playlists on spotify there's one for every episode so um you can find this playlist of songs that we're going to recommend by searching smith cyclopedia on spotify and then finding uh a playlist called smith cyclopedia episode 11. um but basically uh, 
we just want to talk and like uh, give recommendations for songs that we really love and that we think that you would enjoy as well. Um, and usually we get like we throw in like four Smith songs that we talked about, and then um, like three songs each that we've uh, that we've been listening to, okay. or that we just want to want to recommend to people. Yeah, I, I listen to a lot of music just uh, for my profession, uh, but also. Uh, I just on my own I listen to it's it's wide and varied and also a lot so I'm gonna try to mm-hmm. narrow it down in my head right now <laughs> you keep talking while I think <laughs> all right well uh I I guess let's let's narrow down some uh some Smith songs real right. fast um obviously this charming man because you know that's kind of the uh the impetus for why we're talking about this right um and then if we're going along like favorite top of the pops performances um william and sheila i feel like would make sense totally um and what else what else do we want to throw here um i'll say can i say one yeah i'll say shoplifters because i also think that's a great top of the pops and i said it was one of my personal favorites so i'm gonna suggest that all right fantastic that actually works really well. We got two like early career and two right. too late career. Spanning everything. Yeah. Or not everything, but spanning bookends. Yeah, that that's right. Uh boy with a thorn side and oh, his yeah. side. Yeah. Totally. <sighs> Either one. So yeah. I, I I love that song, but it yeah. It's a great one. Um Alright. So do you want to go first with uh, some recommendations, or do you want me to? Yeah, to I'll go. To play? Why not? All right. I'll pick. Cool. I'm gonna pick one old one, older than the Smiths, and then these aren't necessarily, by the way, gonna be songs that if you like the Smiths, you should like them. Should I pick different ones then? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. You know what? I we had, uh, we had a guest earlier come on uh, the show. And then during this portion, I was like, we align super musically. And he comes on and he picks out like three Taylor Swift songs. And I'm like, this That's is not real. at all what I was expecting. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I will be at the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, I, if you appreciate uh, the pop, the art of pop music, maybe you will. And uh, being subversive within the framework of typical pop music, maybe you will. Actually, I do have a connection with one of them. I'll do my older one first. Um, all right. Because I try to go back a lot, like half of my listening is me trying to catch up with like everything that's been made that's like weird. Um, um, it's from 1973. It's a song by Judy Sill. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She mm-hmm. lived like a very tragic, she was like a folk singer and she kind of worked in the same circles as Graham Nash produced uh, one of her most favorite, famous songs and she toured with uh, Crosby and Nash and she was like, and she, so she worked in like similar circles to like Joni Mitchell and stuff like that, but she lived like a very sad life, addled, you know, drug abuse and she died of a, like a codeine and cocaine combination overdose. She was in jail for a little while, like, and it was like a whole, not relating to drugs, like a whole different thing. She had a very sad life and uh, I kind of think of her aligned with like Graham Parsons is like a very sad kind of figure a cult figure where their music doesn't do well when they're alive and then later they become like revered and super influential but she has a song on her second album called the donor which is like this a lot of her music kind of takes from like chris she wasn't super like religious but a lot of her music like takes from christianity and it's like this eight minute epic of and it uses like um like a like catholic like chants within it and it's this huge like chorale kind of thing and it's just like I was listening to it recently and I was like, it's so cheesy. I was like, it's crazy that human beings can make things like this. I like the fact the human mind can like, 
work she was like such so brilliant like clearly and it's very sad that she didn't make a lot of money or get her due when she was alive and she met such like a sad end in the late 70s i think but um anyway this song is brilliant and i've been listening to it all the time i fi if you can't tell i obsess and get fixated on certain songs at certain <laughs> times and this is my obsessive song of the moment so i would like mm -hmm. to add the donor by judy sill my All other right. ones will have less explanation. Um, <laughs> my as soon as as far as like newer stuff that I'm listening to, this actually is a tie-in to Rough Trade because they are on the current iteration of Rough Trade. Because um, I mean, not to say that the Smiths bankrupted Rough Trade, but they, I mean they didn't help because uh, Rough Trade was obviously like a, it had like a very socialist kind of we take fifty percent, you take fifty percent, we pay for you to press the stuff, whatever. And the Smiths honestly got like too big for <laughs> to for them it to like. Um, effectively run and they just didn't have like the the and Morrissey will like complain about this until he passes I'm sure like non-stop about how Rough Trade screwed them over and Jeff Travis screwed them over but um mm -hmm. so Rough Trade crumbles in the 90s and then they eventually restart it with their first act which is at the Strokes which is like what a stroke of luck not but um just didn't mean to do that <laughs> to be like him and Jeanette Lee who actually was there for like the start of Punk in London and who was part of Public Image Limited for a little while with like John Lydon um uh, she becomes his par Jeff Travis's partner and they relaunched Rough Trade. So Rough Trade still exists now, obviously, and they have stores and still have the store in uh, one store in London and then a bunch of other stores, including one here in New York. Um, yeah. But uh, so on the new Rough Trade, which is my little background, I said I was going to be quick with this one. <laughs> There's a band called Jockstrap and it's like a duo and they are, I don't know how to explain what they are. They're like art poppy. Um, one of them, their members is also in the band Black Country New Road, who... I know you've talked about like Black Midi on here before and like drive cleaning yeah. and stuff. They're kind of in the same vein. She is also has a musical project with a different guy and it's called Jockstrap. It's kind of like electronica, uh, like weird art poppy stuff. And um, they put out a really great album last year. It's truly like an everything but the kitchen sink experience. And I don't know if people who love the Smiths will like it, but it, it's fun pop music. So I'm going to pick, there's a song called Jennifer B that I have also listened to a lot. I will not shut up to anybody about this album. And so now I'm doing free promo for them. They're a great act. I'm seeing them in July and I'm excited. Um, and then my last one, this might, this might be more, ah! um, there's a band called uh, model actress with a Z at the end. Mm -hmm. And they just put now out and they got a lot of buzz at South by Southwest, which happened recently, which is like truly the music journalism uh, convention of the year. Um, everybody I know goes except me because <laughs> I can't I can't put that. I don't have anyone footing my airfare. So um, but anyway, they were like the buzz that made, they were. Oh, my God. Listen to me. The band that made like a really everybody was talking about them. They were like the most hyped up thing. And there's a song. Their album just came out like within the last few weeks. And there's a song on there called Mosquito that I really like. So that'll be my third ad. All right. Sorry if you don't like any of these songs, everybody. <laughs> You're going to listen to this and be like, okay, great. She talks a lot. And I don't know. What is this weird music? She just hated me. Me like a corral and like two like buzzy, like aggressive, <laughs> like like uh, art pop songs that are like, like, who's listening to this? Me. So there you go. You go. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. So, um. First off, I want to give a shout out uh, to a song that I cannot possibly put on uh, the Spotify playlist because it was never released. But um, I, I've seen a song trending recently uh, on TikTok that was like an unreleased Lana Del Rey song. <gasps> I um, know all about that. <laughs> all right. If yeah. you were a teenage girl in 2013, you knew all about this. This was your kryptonite. <laughs> Let's go. Unreleased this... Lana. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I, I think the title of it is Every Man Gets His Wish, Every Man Gets His Way or something like oh, that. I don't know um, if I know that one. I'll have to look um, into it. But it's got this bridge that's going, uh, that's trending on TikTok where it's like, he loves my heart-shaped sunglasses. Um, Classic. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is the first several times I listened to it, like they've sped it up by only like five to 10%. Yeah. And so her voice sounds like a cardigan, like a cardigan song. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm like, all right. Well, if I can't put that song on the playlist, then uh, then I'll put a cardigan song on the playlist. Yes, um, love the cardigans. Yes, uh, my favorite cardigan song is um, my favorite game, mm. um, which I think is just one of the most ripping things you could play if you're just like windows down driving on a road, especially in like. Uh, a small town or something just a super super good driving uh, guitar lick and then also like oh I'm totally blanking on um, on the singer's name I know her name Um, hold on (laughs) I know it too yeah I'm racing you to it Uh, Nina Person yes Yes. That's right. Um, yeah, I, uh, I love Nina Person's voice. Um, but yeah, so my favorite game by Cardigans is mm-hmm. gonna be my first, uh, my first one. And then next one is um, this band that I actually got uh, linked up with because of John Garrett. Uh, Dust who, Love. Yes. I'm friends with all of them. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. All right. This is our... Uh... He manages them, for those of you who don't. That's how we met, is through this band, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Um, oh, that makes me so happy. They're, yeah. they're like, they're all, like, this helps if you want to give your money to, like, good people. Obviously, this isn't why you should listen to music. They're all, like, the loveliest people I've ever met in my life. And oh, they're so cool. And John is so sweet to me, too. Like, they don't need to be. I feel like most people are, like, music journalists are, like, the worst. and But they're, like, really cool. <laughs> and maybe it's because we're all around the same age. But, like, um, yeah, and their music is great. And I really love it. Lots of people make Smiths comparisons. But I don't really hear it, to be honest. I think people just hear, like, jangly guitars and are like, it's the Smiths. You know? I don't know. Yeah. They're more like, um, I feel like if you're going to compare them to an old band, maybe I hear more, like, uh, Bauhaus-y or, like, uh, Joy Division-ish or, like, you know. Yeah, Even I was though, going to say, they're a little bit more post-punk than Jangle Pop, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, but also, they don't listen to any of that. Or they know of it, but, like, they're like, that's not really what we listen to, which is, like, just, like, a maybe, maybe like, a Smiths-related comparison is, like, they're like, yeah, but we don't really listen to the birds. You guys just hear a jangly guitar and think we're, like, the birds. And then they're like, mm-hmm. they listen to a lot of, uh, like, Britpop stuff, actually. And, like, um, one member is, like, we're into the same, like, screamy art pop woman women kind of stuff. So it's just really funny that they, like, come out as, like, this like sounding like joy division but they're like oh but don't you think these, this band this band and they're like everybody's <laughs> like no joy division <laughs> so you know just interesting how it works <laughs> yeah um but anyways they uh they just released a song in february called centerfield mm-hmm. um and so that will be my second pick um wait can i yeah. say something really quick i'm sorry yeah go for it go for it i am in the video i'm in a dust love video um, oh yeah for this not the center field one they filmed that in the middle of vermont i was not there um for the single before that the standalone single put on dog i'm in the end for like a collective five seconds i wasn't meant to be a video vixen because at the end i see the camera coming towards me and this made the final cut <laughs> you see the camera coming towards <laughs> me and my head immediately goes the other way i'm like i can't be <laughs> you can't look at me i wasn't you know i wasn't meant for stardom behind the camera that's okay anyway that's your little where's waldo you can go have fun with if you're listening to them 
Oh man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I love that. All right. Um. All right. So. And then for my last, uh, my last one, I don't know. Maybe it's just because uh, you're from New York, and I'm thinking about all this stuff. Yeah. Um. But one of my favorite New York bands from the last, like. Five seven year five to seven years yeah. is um this band called QTY, um yeah it's I, been a minute yeah yeah I love QTY I um I sent so I was obsessed with the whole Morrissey like sending postcards just to everyone and so I <laughs> sent him I sent the lead singer Dan Lardner um a postcard just thinking like oh yeah this will be something fun. And he sent one back to me, essentially Aww. saying, this is the first piece of fan mail I've ever received. That's lovely. Um, I totally want to meet you. And we've kind of, like, kept in somewhat communication. I haven't spoken so to nice. him for a while. But, like, lovely, lovely guy. Um, oh, see, and I've definitely listened to this before, but it's it's been a while since I have. i got to dive back in. They're a dirty hit band. That's a good label. Yes. It, especially, they were the only American dirty hit band. Yeah, like, right? For Yeah, definitely. Um, but let's see. I I think I think he's at his funniest. Um, in probably the song Michael, like okay. uh, he has this one line. Uh, he has this one line that says, "I've come full circle collecting crystals for my desk." Well, since when were rocks out of my budget? Like, <laughs> I think it's so. That's funny. I don't know. Yeah, so so kind of silly and like. <laughs> silly isn't the right word no. it, it, it's very wry like mm-hmm. well, what like in this song about poverty like well sent when were rocks when were when was collecting rocks out of my budget like right what the heck <laughs> no definitely but yeah so i i think that pretty much wraps up our <laughs> playlist section if you're confused by what the songs actually are just go check the playlist <laughs> um I'm so uh, sorry. No, 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 no. It's good. Um, we have one so last se- we have one last section of the show that we'll get uh, into real quick. <laughs> Welcome back um, for uh, the. Hour cap- three of the telethon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you can donate any of your money. We need it desperately. Oh my um, god! <laughs> and you can uh, you can do so by uh, finding us on our social media platforms. Um, oh shoot! Uh, well, I mean, no, no, no. Yeah, that's fine. I, I was just I was just I had to think about it for a second. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. You, so um, that was my cue. Sorry. Um, uh, I, 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 here, let let me, let me start off by saying, if you want to reach the show, oh yeah, you, you should uh, you should message uh, Smith Cyclopedia on Instagram or find our our content on Instagram or TikTok. Again, Smith Cyclopedia spelled that same way. Or you can email us uh, at smithcyclopedia at gmail And then Elise. Here is your official cue that I'm giving you okay. now. 
Uh, part of me wanted to be like, <laughs> for a second I was like, I am an enigma. You can't find me anywhere. But that's not true. I'm terminally <laughs> online. Um, if you want more like professional stuff, like the stuff I write about or the interviews I do or the reviews I write, um, I should have actually used uh, Eve's Tumor as one of my um, artists because they're great and I just wrote a review of their album. So if you want to check out cool music, um, you can look on my Twitter, which is at Moon Age Demon. Um, and then my Instagram, which I use as Pinterest, truly. Um, I have no interest in, like, uh, dressing up my life for you. I'm very boring, so I will just take pictures of garbage on the street, I think, is fun. Um, it's at Smiles Awake and then the letter U, which I created in my middle school intense Beatles phase. And I will not change it at this point because I am stubborn and, uh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't I don't use TikTok at the moment. I'm very sick of everybody on there. <laughs> I'll be back eventually, but you know. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> there we go. And you already mentioned your Substack, yeah? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I always find it so hilarious when people ask for this. I always thought that it was either going to be fellow writers or like my friends who are like know that I will create problems for myself if I don't have something to do. So, like it would just be my friends following this thing, but my Substack is if you are interested in hearing me rant about music and also my life, which is uh, in a weird, very early 20s kind of moment right now, and you're interested in reading about that, um, it's it's things are getting kind of gross uh, dot substack dot com. And yes, that's a Tori Amos reference, but it's just also, you know, how we're feeling lately <laughs> with the world, the state of the world. She was a, she was a prophet. Um, things are getting, <laughs> she's right. Things are getting kind of gross. So yeah, if you want to, if you want to read that, go for it. All right. Um, so let, so yeah, that that's how you can reach either of us. We've got a couple things in terms of mail. Ooh. Um, yeah, I know, right? I'm excited. Big and big and popular over here. <laughs> For real. Uh, returning, um, mailer mail. I I I don't know. His name is Tim Horpinch. He's written into this show before. Um, and uh, he wrote. Hi, Kaz. Wanted to say I appreciate the shout-out for my email a few podcasts ago. And yes, you really got the pronunciation wrong of uh, of his hometown. Uh, it's pronounced Seychelles, or maybe not his hometown, but where he currently resides. It's pronounced Seychelles, and it is not in Australia. It is a group of about 150 islands off the coast of Africa in the Indian Ocean. Wow. I've been enjoying the episodes a lot. Thanks again. I first off want to say I am so sorry. Um yeah international I, mail yeah um granted i mean it's email he he didn't have to send postage right. or anything there that... was no there was no there was no effort it's just yeah. <laughs> or like, oh, or like I wouldn't say there's no... no 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 uh, okay i take yeah. it back no scratch the tape <laughs> edit that out i would say there was no there was no like um real like uh there wasn't like the mail uh, you know what i mean uh, no. you put, i'm sure you put so much effort in that email and i feel so bad now <laughs> It was just no. saying that it was instant. It's the internet, you know. It's, yeah. not, it's like you just type and send. It could have been no anywhere. currency was involved. Yeah, that that yeah. part too. <laughs> yeah. None of the sixty postage stamps. I understand. Yeah. Um, he continues. One thing I noticed in the Troy Tate episode is you didn't mention the song "I Don't Owe You Anything." For Ooh. me, it's one of my favorite songs. I'm not entirely sure why, but I really love the slightly slowed down Tate version of the song compared to the first album version. I really think it is one of their most underrated songs ever. And reading an interview from Mike Joyce, it was the only song that made him cry while playing it. Mm, I've heard I that love as well. that. Yeah, I've I heard could that as well. <laughs> I could totally see like Sinatra covering it, LOL. What else did you think uh what else do you think are the Smith's most underrated songs? 
Anyways, Ooh. keep up the good episodes, and I love your work. Have a great day, Tim. That was so lovely. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I loved him. If he did not live in approximately 150 islands off the coast of Africa, <laughs> um, I I would say like you know what I'm I'm meeting this person. We're 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 hanging out. Right. Um. So what are you most yeah. most answer his question? <laughs> um. Most underrated Smith songs. Um, this is such a hard question because I feel like. Uh, Am I allowed uh, to answer? Yes, please answer. Um, I'll, you, you, you think I'll kill time. Yes, um, <laughs> I'm good at that. Um, I was gonna say maybe just because I'm thinking the this charming man kind of connection. Uh, Gene is great. All the B sides, I feel like that, especially around those early uh, like singles. Not all of them made it onto the compilations later until they did like the complete thing. So like Gene's not mm-hmm. on Louder Than Bombs or like The World Won't Listen or anything. Uh, same with like Wonderful Woman. Um, so all of those that like little con- collection of songs, I feel like uh, could all be answers. I love Gene. Gene's a really great one. Um, it's really great at like expressing the inherent like Northern Englishness of the Smiths, like referencing like those um, sort of uh, what's the word kitchen sink movies that were like about a pre-Beatles very like a struggling uh north of england um all great uh i know johnny when he was doing the q a's during the when the ever the world first shut down during the pandemic and people were asking him questions on instagram or whatever his answer for most underrated smith songs were half a person and stretch out and wait so i will Mm -hmm. also throw stretch out and wait in as one of mine both great songs yes your time is up my vamping is done (laughs) ah all right that's okay i I've, i've come to the realization that one Smith song. All right, so actually, I want to preface this first by saying there is a video that the enemy did a while ago, probably around like 2011, mm-hmm. where they went around Glastonbury, uh, like backstage, and were just asking people from all these different bands that were playing oh, yeah. what their I've favorite Smith song is, and it's just so varied. And so I always feel like, is there really an underrated Smith song? Like there are, and there's so there few are of them too. Like yeah. relative to other bands' discographies, they were together for such a short time. There's only like seventy-ish songs you can pick from. So. Yeah, and I mean, like there are some which I think uh, absolutely deserve the love they get, and some which I feel like very, very few, which I feel like deserve the sort of hate that they get. And Oof. that is Golden Lights. Um, you hate Golden Lights. <laughs> Yeah, I'm leaving the podcast right now. Everybody, no, I'm taking no, no, my no. headphones off. I don't love it, but like I'm, I'm kind of a when they when Morrissey sent his open letter, everybody ooh when and I was like, there's no way this is happening right now. Like someone like photoshopped this and it was real when he said, mm-hmm. Johnny, please stop talking about me. <laughs> yeah, when he he threw golden lights into the argument, and I was like, um, can I come out as like kind of a golden lights truther? Like, <laughs> I think, like I think, it's not thing. that bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> Here's the thing, everybody. is I feel like the song itself isn't that bad. I feel like the production of it is just real Oh, it's very 80s. Makes it, it, yeah. I feel like a lot of the Smith... I mean, you can tell it was made in the 80s, but a lot of it is aged very well. It was It was just, you know, a, Stephen Street was having fun, and I salute him having fun. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but the, I get this it, bridges, I get it. This bridges into uh, what I was going to talk about is... There is one song that I feel like is hampered by the production and the mixing of it mm. that absolutely deserves more praise than it gets, and that is Ask. I um, love Ask. Do people not like Ask? That's one of my favorite Smith songs. Yeah. Ask because like Get the production of, of it is 
it, it it's almost like very very thin and weak yeah um but, but if like... you watch any like or if you watch or listen to any live version of Ask, yeah. it is the most, like, huge Smith song there ever was. Yeah. And I know the kind of thinking was, like, we just put out Panic, and now everybody thinks we want to hang all the radio DJs. Maybe we should do something lighter for the next single. Or when they mm-hmm. were picking the single, that was the idea. Maybe not when they were writing it. But yeah. uh, Johnny wrote, like, a very inherent, like, uh, natural, like, inherently very pop thing. I think it's such a it's such a beautiful song. I want to probably one of my favorite, I know someone who, I don't know them personally, but someone got, like, a tattoo of writing frightening verse to a t- bucktooth girl in Luxembourg, and I think that's the mm-hmm. greatest tattoo ever. It's, a, it's such, like, a beautiful, joyous, amazing song. And I understand yeah. how people, how the production is just different, but you're all wrong. It's a great song. Yeah. So Ask, <laughs> and then also one that I just feel like don't doesn't ever get talked about as much is uh, Accept Yourself, which is one of, like, my top three... Top wow. three to five Smith songs. Like, wow, okay. I love that song so much. I feel like it's so melodic, and it's got, like so much of what uh that early smiths like mania was about totally which is like it was very very on the nose obviously but like just talking about like self-image and like what it means and like that's a big part of why i got into the smiths is Mm because i didn't have a great self-image and suddenly Mm -hmm. there was this band that like was all about accepting who you are and Mm -hmm. being fine with being ordinary and like sometimes you have to think about like uh when will you accept yourself like yeah uh, and i love i love it very much and i feel like it just never gets brought up in conversation yeah another this charming man b-side um on the 12 inch with yes woman it's a good so it's a nice there's a nice little batch of songs there that are all very i think indicative of what the smiths were about um for their first year or so few, few years so i like that answer i i i, I will applaud you for that does it forgive me for my golden light slander? It's okay. I don't really feel that strongly about it. <laughs> but I will say I'm I'm I I enjoy Golden Lights. I don't listen to it all the time, but when it comes on, I think uh Louder Than Bombs is pretty much no skip. And so I can't I won't skip Golden Lights. I just have to stand up for it at this point. I'm very into standing up for the underdog. I will right. I'll, <laughs> I'll defend it from slander if I need to. <laughs> good, good, good. Cool. Um so yeah, thank you again, Tim, for uh, for writing in and for uh, spurring this train of thoughts. Um, <laughs> please continue to keep writing in, and not on, not only Tim, but any of the listeners as well. Uh, listeners, returning guests, um, hopeful future guests, um, <laughs> Andy Rourke. Um, I would love to hang out with Andy Rourke. Yeah, right. Um, he lives in New York. I'm trying to find him. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he 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 DJs. We go he? to like the same record stores and stuff. So I'm like, Andy, where are you? Let's hang. <laughs> he's he's hiding from me. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and but anyways, uh, so if you want to write into the show, please do. You can write in at smithcyclopedia at gmail dot com, or you can message uh, our TikTok or Instagram socials which are at Smith Cyclopedia. But that is pretty much everything that I have for this episode. Elise, you you have anything else you want to say? Uh, there's so many things to say, but I think I think that's enough. We are literally almost clocking in at hour two. So if you're listening to the edited version of this, we talk for almost two hours. <laughs> yeah. 
and frankly, like, there's so much more that we could talk about. I know. Um, I would, I, this was an absolute joy. I never get to, like, blab about this to people who are equally as enthusiastic. So I'm sure you get that a lot when people come on here. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, such a joy. Such a, I'm glad I got to uh, try to express how I feel, because I feel a lot for this p- particular band. So what a, what a, what a time. What a treat. So thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, of course. All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs>